0: You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. We are continuing in our uh, our series through the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 10 this morning as we continue through our our big mega series in John that we've split into separate parts. This one is about believing in Jesus. We're in John chapter 10, verse 22. We have a really interesting little interaction here. So, so read along with me. Uh, John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So, the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. And Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works of the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered them, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you were gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word came, and scripture can't be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent to the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I'm the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him here and there. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Dear Lord, Father God, we come before you this morning asking uh, that we might believe in you. Asking that you would make yourself known through your word through your works, through the person of Jesus uh, that we see in this passage this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, I love this passage because the Jewish people come to Christ with the same question that we often have. Can you just tell me plainly? Like, can you just speak to me plainly? Uh, I don't know about you, but that has been a question that I've had at many points, or maybe even a frustration with Jesus and with Scripture as well. Like, can it just be clearer? Maybe that's something that you have. You open up the Bible and you're like, this is great. I understand it's important, but sometimes it's just not very clear, right? Maybe you're reading an older translation and there's these and nows that you need to get rid of. Uh, Maybe you are reading even in this and there's like questions and dialogue that just doesn't, it doesn't read very well and you just wish God would speak to you. Maybe it's in prayer. Sometimes in prayer, you know, I remember in middle school, constantly asking, Lord, which girl should I date? And trying to like flip through and be like, maybe it's this one. Nope, that's Joshua Beckshaw. Like, I don't even know what that is. So That's no one in my class. Um, Maybe we want, you know, God to speak to us clearly. In this passage, we see the the Jewish leaders and the people of Jesus' time coming to him and demanding, speak to us plainly. Tell me straight out, are you the Christ? And he responds with something that is not just an answer to their question, but something so much more. Basically, we have the same problem. When, he, when Jesus does answer us clearly, it's so big, his answer is so strong, that it's almost more than we wanted. We want a simple answer to our questions, and he says, I am God. Nothing about this is simple. He gives us a challenge instead of just an answer. Um, and so when, when, he, when he faces the, us with the same question, we ask him, are you, are you the Christ? Are you for real? Are you God? He instead puts it back on us and asks us this, in this passage of belief, if we're going to believe in him. Uh, do we believe in Jesus or are we going to uh, go another way? He calls us in this passage, our main point is that Jesus calls us uh, to believe that he is God through his works and through his word. He calls us to believe this fundamental truth that he and the Father are one. That Jesus Christ, this man that lived 2,000 years ago, is also God incarnate. And we believe that through his works and his words. Something that maybe we, in this room, some of you are struggling to believe that. uh, Or in a season where that's hard to understand. He calls us to believe that. Uh, Let's start in verse 24. They're walking, or actually verse 22. Uh, It's at the time of the feast of dedication. That's Hanukkah. He says that it's winter, it's Hanukkah. It's About 150 years before this has been, if you remember the story of Judah Maccabee, this uh, revolutionary military leader who came and took military control over Jerusalem and kicked out the false idols from the temple and re-consecrated it to the Lord. And they have this festival of lights that commemorates this. And this is where Hanukkah that we have Jewish people today still celebrate comes from. And they're at this feast of dedication celebrating this. And it's cold outside and Jesus is there with them and they're maybe looking for another Judah Maccabee. They're looking for another religious leader, another zealot, another uh, political power who's going to come and bring peace to their people. And they're they're celebrating Judah Maccabee, this man who they maybe thought was the Christ, the Messiah, and he wasn't. They're celebrating him, and they, they come to Jesus, and they say, okay, now's the time. Tell us plainly, verse 24, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? There's a a weird question, right, because we just think of him as Jesus Christ. Christ is not, as Pete said last week, not his last name. Christ is a title. You want to know the Greek for Christ? This is an easy Greek word. Christos, Christ. It's the same. Uh, Or in Hebrew, the Hebrew version is the same thing. You know it already. Messiah, it's Mashiach. It's the same word. So Messiah, Christ, same thing. They mean the Lord's anointed one. In the Old Testament, there's three types of people who are Christs, who are Messiahs, who are anointed ones. There's prophets, there's priests, and there's kings. All of them are marked as God's special workers and their special office as anointed ones uh, by having oil poured on their head as prophets, priests, or kings. And Christ is the ultimate, Jesus is the Christ, the ultimate Messiah, because he's marked as the prophet, the priest, the king. He's got oil poured on his head, poured on his feet. He's the Christ. And they ask him. Are you the Messiah, the Christ we've been waiting for? Please just tell us plainly. Maybe that's you uh, in your prayer. Maybe that's you when you open up Scripture this morning. God, will you just tell me plainly who you are? What do you want me to do? And and they're looking for this leader, and they come to him, and he says, I've already told you. Verse Verse 25, he says, I told you, and you don't believe. This is so often the case. We come to God asking plainly, asking, will you tell me what you want me to do? Will you tell me what your word is? And he says, look, I've already given you a lot of words and you haven't even bothered to read these ones yet. Why do you want new revelation? Right? He says, I've already told you who I am. And he's not talking about his words here. He's talking about his works. See, he's already been doing the work of the Father. He says, I told you and you don't believe me. The works... That I do, my father's name are bearing witness about me. He says, "What I've been doing is how I've been telling you who I am." This is this is the same um, thing that we have in our lives when we when we try to. We, maybe sometimes we hear what people are saying. And then their actions don't line up with that. And we're trying to judge the character of somebody. We want to see, do their words and their actions match up together, right? You can imagine a judge uh, that's at a parole hearing, and he, he's seen someone, they, they've committed crimes in the past, and he's hoping to let them out on parole, and he's wondering, I know they say they're forgiving, and I know they say they're not going to do this again, but are they really going to not do their problems again? And Jesus says, look at my works. They testify to what I'm saying. He's been doing the works of the Father. This is a challenge for us, too, that, that we might not just be people who talk about being Christians, people who maybe put on cross necklaces and WWJD bumper stickers and all of those things uh, that we could sort of laugh at or, or get really excited about. Either one would probably be good in some way. Uh, but he, he says, let's not just be people who talk about what we're doing, but let our works show what we're doing and who we are. Think about that for a minute for ourselves. How, how do my works, how do what I'm doing uh, bear witness to what I say that I am, who I say that I am? James, of course, the book of James challenges us with this. In chapter 2, it says you know, faith without works is dead. If I just say that I'm a Christian and there's no fruit in my life, that I'm probably not a Christian. If I just say that I believe in this uh, and there's nothing that comes of it, then I probably don't actually believe in this. And we're sort of preaching to the choir here, but there's an enormous and growing percentage in our country of Americans, the majority of people who claim to be evangelicals, don't actually do anything uh, at all. Like I'm not talking about like are they living fruitfully? They're not even in a church. I don't have the exact stats, but you can look it up. There's this enormous growing number of people who claim the title Christian and have no affiliation with any church whatsoever and haven't for years, only attend maybe once a year, maybe none at all. Um, And and there's a real challenge there for us. Christ here is saying, my identity is based not only in what I say, but in what I do. And we have that same... uh, responsibility for us as Christians. Our identity as Christians should be built not only on what we say, and not only how we fill out a survey, am I a Christian, yes or no, but on how we live. And Christ is calling us to more than just our word. He's calling us to works. And he says that his works match that of the Father. In verse 37, he says that specifically. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. They're asking him, will you tell us, are you the Christ? And he says, well, look at what I've been doing. And let's stop and think about what is it that Jesus has been doing, right? He's been doing all sorts of Jesus-y things. He's been doing miracles, turning water into wine. He's been caring for the sick, healing people dramatically. He's been caring for widows and orphans and foreigners. He's been speaking to Samaritans, even though he's Jewish. He's been crossing borders. He's been caring for all of these people. He's doing the work of the Father. Uh, He's establishing justice and peace and righteousness. That's what he's on his way to Jerusalem to do, ultimately, through his death. All that he's doing fits into this mission that the Father has. There's nothing extraneous, right? It's totally fine for us to have extraneous hobbies. But Jesus doesn't have any of them, because all that he's about is doing the work of the Father. That's his sole purpose. And all of this is to to help, to support, to encourage his sheep. And he's moving towards that sacrifice. In verses 27, 28, and 29, he tells us that his sheep hear his voice. He says, I know them and they follow me. I'm giving them eternal life and they're never going to die. And no one will snatch them out of my hands. He, he says, they're, they're asking him, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you this new Judah Maccabee, this man who's going to come and rescue us from our, Actual political oppressors that they had. Are you going to rescue us from our problems? Are you going to to cure our diseases? Are you going to solve our problems? And he says, I'm already doing the work of the Father. I've told you through what I'm doing, and yet you don't believe me. Of course I'm the Christ. I'm saving my sheep. This is what the Christ does. This is what the Messiah has come to do. And he compares himself to the shepherd. He's already told us earlier in the chapter that he's the great shepherd. And he he uses a weird illustration, though. He says, I am the shepherd, and they're never going to perish. No one's going to snatch the sheep out of my hand. And then he says in verse 29, my father, who's given them to me, is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Now, there's a weird thing there. He says, no one can take them from my hand. And he says, no one can take them from the father's hand. Why does he make this distinction? Well, that's what he goes on. Uh, There's this picture of a shepherd, right, that maybe we don't spend a lot of time with shepherds. But a shepherd normally doesn't own their flock. They might own part of it, or maybe even a majority of it. But they are also watching over the sheep of, of people that own the actual sheep. He's a hired hand. He's an investment manager. He's managing their sheep portfolio. He doesn't own all the money. He doesn't own all the sheep. But instead, he's managing them. And he says, no one can take these out of my hand. And no one can take them out of the Father's hand because he owns them too. And he's going to go on to tell us that he and the Father are the same thing, right? But he says, I'm here to watch over my sheep. These and the sheep, that's you. That's me. That's us. That's anyone who's put their faith in Christ. And he says, I'm here to, uh, this is a passage of comfort. He says, I'm here to protect you. No one can steal you from me. Unlike the best investment managers we have, Christ is 100% with his sheep. He never fails. Jesus does not mess up with the sheep that he's in charge of. And he says in verse 29, uh, these sheep are fully protected. Uh, There's no one that can snatch them out of his hand. A parallel passage for this is in Romans chapter 8, where where Paul reminds us that nothing, no tribulation, no trials, no distress, no persecution, no famine, no nakedness, no danger, no sword can take us from the Father's hand. He says, we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered by the world, and yet... God the Father protects us. He says in Romans chapter 8, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sorry, I'm excited. It's just a great passage. It says, Nothing in the world can take you from the hand of the Father. That's good news. That's why we're here this morning. Because nothing in the world can remove you from the hand of God the Father if you believe in him. Nothing, 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 nothing. No one can snatch you. That's that's amazing and wonderful news. And Christ is already telling us this right here. He says, I'm here to protect my people. And, And when he tells us that, he has to clarify... I'm not here just to protect the Father's sheep, and the Father isn't just letting me care for his sheep, because I and the Father are one. Verse 30. This is the part that gets him in trouble. This is why they pick up stones to kill him. He says, I and the Father are one. He says, we're the same thing. Not quite, because that would be a bit of a Trinitarian heresy. But he says, we're we're the one. We have the same substance. That would be the way we talk about that. He says, we have the same substance, right? And, And... it's not like a three-leaf clover, They're, but they, we have the same substance. I and the Father are one. He's both fully God and fully man, Jesus. And they have distinct personalities We don't want to confuse them, but they are also both fully God. And he says, I and the Father are are one. He's saying, I'm one with God. I'm one with God. I, I can't think of, help but think about the scene from Rogue One, the Star Wars movie, where the guy says, I'm one with the Force, and the Force is with me. I'm one with the Force. And he goes and does all this stuff. And Jesus says, I'm one with God. But not like the way that we might repeat a mantra, right? That I'm one with something. Jesus literally is God. The John's Gospel has started in this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God Jesus is not just with God. He also is God. It's amazing. Um, and so his audience, maybe they're not stopping to understand the full like, Trinitarian implications and all the details of all of this. But they, they do pick up on enough of it to understand that I'm pretty sure this guy just said he's God. And I'm pretty sure that someone that claims that they're God is, as C.S. Lewis would say, uh, a liar, a lunatic, or lord. He says, I'm pretty sure this guy is either insane or he's just willfully lying to us and committing blasphemy, which is illegal in the Old Testament. And so in verse 31, they pick up stones. This is a common like mob practice in the Old Testament or in the, in the, in the Scriptures. They would pick up stones and they throw them at people. It's a really violent thing. We just kind of gloss over it. But they pick up stones and they throw them at people until they're dead. It's, it's really hardcore. And they're really angry. And this mob has picked up stones and they're getting ready. to to throw stones, throw rocks at him until he lives no longer. And he says, hold on, hold on a minute. Why are you upset? What have I done? I've been healing the sick among you. I've been helping widows and the fatherless. I've been doing all kinds of good works. Which of those are you going to kill me for? And they're like, dude, it is not for any of that that we're going to kill you. It's because you literally just said you were God. And they're they're so worried by this that they feel the need to kill him. Um, This is essential to John's gospel, that we understand that Jesus is not just one who does good works. He is also one that is the Son of God. He tells us at the end of his gospel that, uh, he said, this whole book is written so that you might believe uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He starts his gospel by saying that Christ is God. You know, John and Jesus in this passage demands that we can't just listen to him as a good teacher, There's kind of a popular move to say, like, I really like Jesus as a positive teacher. I really like him as a social worker. I really like him as a nice guy. I just don't necessarily believe that he, you know, is actually also God. And Jesus here says, you can't have one without the other. My works identify me not just as a good teacher, not just as a doer of good works, but as one with the Father. If we want to believe in Jesus, if we want to trust in his good works, if we like his character, we have to trust him also that he's really Lord. C.S. Lewis's famous trilemma. When we look at Christ, are you a liar? Are you lying to me? Are you just a lunatic? Right? You might find some guys down living in the river that also think that they're God. Or are you Lord? And Jesus says, I am Lord. I and the Father are one. And the the people who hear this pick up on it enough to realize we need to to take action. They they understand what he means by this. And there's a challenge here for us. When we hear this, when we hear Jesus say, I and the Father are one, I think we need to stop and pause and ask, do I really believe that? Do I really trust that this man who lived 2,000 years ago, that this word attests to, do I really trust that he was not just a good teacher? Do I really trust that he really lived? Do I really trust that he and the Father are one and the same? Do I really see Jesus as God? Because that, that's the, the main thrust of this whole passage, this whole series, is asking us, can we, do we believe in Jesus? Do we have faith in Christ? And he's asking that, do you believe me? And they, most of these people, they don't. Um, He goes on to quote from Psalm 82 in verses 34 and 35. Uh, he says, isn't it written in the Old Testament? I said, you God. Psalm 82 is a weird psalm. If you want to turn there and look at it, it's a, it's a really interesting psalm. It starts out with this picture of God sitting among the judges of the world, these people who rule the world. Picture, you know, senators, governors, the rich and powerful, whoever you want. And God's sitting and he's taking counsel with them and he's looking around and he says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And then God speaks to these judges and rulers, and he says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. He looks at all these judges and rulers of the world, and he comes out with all the social justice stuff. It's kind of weird. But God, God, it's great. God comes, and he says, look, if you're in charge, you have an obligation to care for the weak and the poor and the needy among you. This is something that carries over to us as Christians. Now, how we actually live that out and what we do, that's, that's, there's a lot of freedom there. But the fact that we're called to care for this, absolutely imperative. And he says, stop judging unjustly. Care for the weak. Care for the poor. And then he mocks them in Psalm 82. He goes on in Psalm 82, verse 6. He, he looks at these people who have set themselves up as judges. He looks at us when we think we've really solved the world's problems, too. And he says, mockingly, You are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall all die and fail like any prince. He tells us that even when we think we have really managed to establish justice, we're still going to die. And so it's a weird psalm because it's God, I think, mocking and God calling us to justice at the same time. It ends with God in verse 8 saying, Arise, God, judge the earth, save all the people. That's, That's Christ. It ends with that. And Jesus quotes this psalm, where God says, he, he, I think mockingly calls them gods, even though they're going to die, and says, it's okay, I can call myself God because the Bible does it. <laughs> and, and they're like, well, okay, I guess so, but like, you're still calling yourself God. He tells them that he's doing the works that this psalm describes. All the stuff he's been doing in his life, all these stories we know about Jesus He's been doing these works. He's been fulfilling this in a way that no human can, in a way that as hard as we might work, we're always going to come up short when we try to establish justice on our own. We are never If we think that we have done it, we're wrong. If we think that uh, someone else can do it, we're wrong. Christ says, I'm the true God that you've been waiting for. I'm the one just judge who will never die. And and he he tells us that this is because he is one with the Father. In verse 38, he continues on and he says, If you don't believe me, believe what I'm doing. Believe the works. Because if you look at what I've been doing, you might know, you might trust that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. If all that you're hearing this morning, if when you open up God's word, you have a hard time believing in just what he's saying... He says, well, we'll pause there and just look at what I'm doing. Look at, look at my works in the world today. A lot of bad examples of Christians, but he says, Stop looking at other Christians. Look at Jesus. Look at what I'm doing, right? How do we see God's works today? We could think of kind of the supernatural, we could also think of just common works, the, the work of communion, his word present with us in. Uh, in in bread and wine. We could see his work in our own lives, in creation. We could see his work, uh, as Romans 1 tells us, displayed for all the world to see um, in nature and creation itself. We see Christ's works all around us. And and whatever gravitates towards you, whatever you're seeing there, uh, I don't know what you're seeing there, but God does. And he says, if you don't believe in my word, at least look at the works that you might believe that I'm one with the Father. And he says, this, this is all written so that you might believe. He says, my sheep are going to know who I am. They're going to be the ones who believe. And that's us. That's us if we believe in him. In verse 26, he says, um, you, these people aren't believing because they're not his sheep. And he's come for his sheep. This is, this is assurance for us if we put our faith in him, that he has come and been willing to die for us if we believe in him. He calls us to believe. He calls us to put simple faith in him. Sometimes we turn faith or belief into this own work in and of itself, which is not right. We turn faith into this enormous effort, like, I just got to believe a little harder and get rid of any doubt. And he says, no, this is much simpler than that. My sheep hear my voice and they come when I call. It's like a dog. A dog, when you get home, and the dog hears you come, and you call it, and it comes. The dog is not having some crisis of faith. Like, is that really my owner? Is it not? I don't know. Maybe, should I go? Well, I'm, okay, I have like a 10% uncertainty on this, but I guess I'm going to go with it anyways in case I'm wrong. No, the God, the dog just goes. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they respond to me. If you're one of Christ's sheep, then, then you're going to be hearing his voice. And I, I urge you, I call you, Christ does too, respond to him. We don't need to turn this into some huge crisis of faith, examining any and all possible doubts. Instead, this is like a dog. When you call it, when, it gets, when you get home from work, it's running to you happily. We can run to Christ in faith. That's what faith is. Uh, Martin Luther loves to talk about the fact that true faith is the same uh, faith that a child, a, a baby has uh, in its mother. It just curls up. It's there. I know this is my mom. I comfort it. And, and he doesn't, we don't have to like think through all these intricacies. Faith is not a work, it's simply belief in God. It's trusting in him like a child. And he says, This faith will give us eternal life. This is why I've come, verse 28, so that my sheep may have eternal life and may never perish. You know, we focus a lot in church and in Christianity on like, positive things that are going to help our lives. And and that's good, because there's a lot of positive truth from Scripture. But the, the main thing that we're getting from this relationship with God is not like seven steps to a better, happier life now. It is eternal life. This is the central hope of the gospel, that when we die, and I will, when you die, and you will, we can have eternal life with Jesus. We can have eternal life with God the Father. This is, this is it. It's not primarily a religion about fulfillment here and now. That is not what we're celebrating. Uh, there, there's a lot of benefit and a lot of good and a lot of things that we're called to do differently here and now. But that's not what we're about. We believe that there's eternal life given to us if we, uh, from Christ. Maybe you're, you're struggling to believe in that. And I would just encourage you to say, that's okay. That's okay, but continue to trust in his, not just his words, but his works as well. Look for Christ's works. He says, if you you come to me, you're never going to come up thirsty. You're never going to come short. I will always answer you. And this is what we see at the end of our passage, in verses 40, uh, 41, 42. He he withdraws. He gets away from the guys that are trying to kill him. He goes back to actually where we were in, in our sermon last week, where John the Baptist was. He's back on the banks of the Jordan. And He's there, and some of John's disciples come up to him, and they've heard stories about who he is. Maybe you've heard stories about who Jesus is. Maybe you grew up uh, in the church, and yet you're not really a Christian. You're not practicing. Um, Maybe you've been here for a long time, and yet this hasn't really sunk in. You've heard a lot about Jesus, and they come to him, and they say, what we've heard checks out with what you're actually doing. And they believe in him. That's the end of the passage. This is this amazing assurance for us that no matter what you've heard, about Jesus, no matter the good or bad examples of Christians that you've seen, Christ says, if you, if you come to me, come to me personally, there will be a response and my works will match up with my words. Let that be a comfort to you this morning. No matter what good or bad examples you've seen, no matter how you have or have not lived out uh, these words, if you come to Christ personally, his works in your life will 100% of the time match up with his words. Trust in that. Believe in that. Maybe you think you've found the, maybe you're searching, you know, you think you found the center of the universe trying to find what's true to you, your truth, your importance, what makes you happy. Christ says, I am the one you've been looking for. They they come to him asking, are you the Christ? Please just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah we've been looking for? And he says, I'm not only the Messiah, I'm God. I'm not only the Christ you've been looking for, the one who's truly going to establish justice that you can never do it on your own. I and the Father are one. And he calls us to believe in him. He calls us to believe in him through his works and through his word. Um, and this is the Lord's word. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.